0: as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Genesis 2 is where we're going to be, and we're also going to be in Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have all the words on the screen, and so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we're so happy and honored that you would be here, and so in the little chair back in front of you is this QR code. You can scan it put it whatever information you want to share with us, or you can flip it around, fill it out, and then you can put it in one of our connection boxes or turn into our next steps area, and uh, you can talk to uh, our folks there, and they would love to help you find your next step, whatever that is. Well, Genesis chapter two is where we're going to be, and let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time, and then we'll... Get into God's word, Father in heaven. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the baptisms we celebrated today. Thank you for Felipe and Carrie, and Lord, we pray that you bless them. Thank you that uh, their daughter was baptized at VBS. We thank you for what you're doing in that family and what you're doing in all kinds of families all around our church. And we just are so honored, Lord, that you uh, would allow us to be able to worship you today. So, God, as we look into some difficult truths, uh, some hard truths, but also some very basic truths. Lord, help us to see Jesus in all of it. And Lord, help us to just find our rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, Genesis chapter two. Genesis 2, we're gonna begin in verse number one. Genesis 2, verse one, the word of God says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, the Lord, uh, pardon me, that God finished his work that he had done, he rested on the seventh day from all of his works that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his works that he had done in creation. Now, Genesis, Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord God, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You may be seated. Have you ever gotten a gift that you really didn't know what to do with? Like, now I know some of you say, well, I re-gift it. Uh, but a few years ago, my um uh, I was at Christmas day. It was at my mom and dad 's house. The family was there uh, we, we didn 't live very far from them at the time and so it was christmas and and we were opening presents and uh, The kids had opened their presents. My wife had opened uh, her presents from my mom and dad, her father and mother in law They always get her like the best stuff like I always get kind of the junk and 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 she gets really the best stuff and so my mom you know comes out with this huge box. And she's so excited. I thought to myself, well, finally, I'm going to get a good gift, you know? And uh, so she comes out with this huge box. It's wrapped. And so I'm unwrapping this thing layer by layer. And she's so happy. And I open it up and I look at it. I was like, what in the world is this? It was a Trap. We have a picture of what that thing looks like. I don't know if you can see it yet, but it's a Dynatrap. Is it it on there? You see that there, Dynatrap? So what it is, for those of you who are not necessarily familiar with this, is this This is is a machine that kills mosquitoes, no flying insects, and wasps. (laughs) Nothing says a redneck Christmas like a bug zapper. (laughs) Amen? So I opened the gift, and... My mom looked at me, she was so excited. She said, Son, this is the best outdoor bug repellent on the market. (laughs) So I looked at it, smiled, I was a little bitter inside, I won't (laughs) lie to you. Because it really wasn't on my Christmas list. You know, of all the things, that, that wasn't on there, Bug Zapper. Took the gifts, smiled, took all the, hung out with the family for a little bit, put all the kids' really, really nice gifts into the van. My wife's really, really nice, put them in the van. I took the Dynatrap, put it in the van, got home, unloaded all the stuff for the family, all the kids' stuff. I took my brand new Dynatrap, put it in the garage. And there it sat for two years. We moved to Naples and we bring it with us. was in the garage, the people, the moving company, they just put everything that was in the garage, in the truck. And so there we are, and I basically forget about it. And so we move down to Naples, we move into our house, and uh, we go with some friends to the beach. And uh, we were at this beach, it was in the evening, it was kind of a picnic, and we got eaten alive by no see Now the problem with no see is you don't see them coming. And so we were eating alive and we kind of itched for a while. And we, another week went by and we went to another friend's house and, and we went to their pool and our kids were swimming in the pool. We were sitting out there on the patio and we were talking about our experience at the beach here in Naples about the noceums. And the guy looked at me, the husband looked at me and said, We don't have problems with noceums around here. We don't have any problems with noceums in our pool area. And I said, Really? He said, Yeah. He says, I have something called a Dynatrap. I said, really, what is that? He says, it kills no sims, it kills mosquitoes, it kills and cures everything. And so I went on my little Amazon machine, on my little phone, and two days later, guess what I got in my house? A brand new Dynatrap. And guess what was in my garage already? A Dynatrap. And guess what I have right now? I've got two Dynatraps. Now, the reason I tell you that story is this. It's because when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to rest, a lot of people are like me with a Dynatrap. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how valuable it is. Maybe we hear other people uh, are Sabbathing, other people are resting, but we can't see that for ourselves. And because of that, we're missing out on the gift of the Sabbath that God wants us to enjoy. And so this series this summer is talking about the theology of rest and the theology of the Sabbath. That word Sabbath is Shabbat. It means to cease or to stop. And so we see that this practice, maybe you've heard about people going on sabbaticals where they take some time off for a long time. That practice of Sabbathing comes from the Bible and it's the concept that actually is a theme that moves from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It starts in creation, goes all the way into consummation and it is God's design of time that culminates in the seventh day. And it is a weekly reminder for Israel It was a weekly reminder. For us, it's a weekly reminder of what God has done, and it is a weekly reminder of what God is going to do and what is coming for God's people, and that is the ultimate rest found in Jesus Christ, the Shabbat shalom that our hearts are longing for. And so this message sets us up for the rest of this series, and so for the geeks and the nerds in this room, you're gonna love this sermon. And so this morning, this is what we're going to learn is this, is that the Sabbath is a pattern woven into creation and it is a practice that we should keep for our good. A, a pattern woven into creation and a practice that we should keep. So let's unpack that. Number one, the Sabbath is a pattern woven into creation. Chapter two, verse one, God created the skies and the land in six days. And then God rested. Six days on, one day off. Wax on, wax off. But I want you to not overlook the point The Bible says that God created everything out of nothing, ex nihilo, in six days. But on the seventh day, God rested. You you say, well, you don't understand my life. You don't understand my personality. I'm a type A. I'm an energizer bunny. I keep going and going. I can't sit still. I'm always moving. You don't understand my job, preacher. You don't understand the demands of my life. You don't understand my wife, preacher. You don't understand my husband, preacher. You don't understand my responsibilities, preacher. But God rested, didn't he? And God's work is far more important and far greater than anything you and I will ever do. And yet, God rested. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. God's inexhaustible. God rested because he was finished. He was satisfied with what he had created. If you've ever bought something from Ikea, maybe a desk or or maybe a bed or, or some sort of piece of furniture, and, and you get that big old box, and you unpack all the stuff in the box, and you lay it all out, and you get the manual, and you have these 1,500 uh, little screws and washers here, and, and you put it all together, and you are looking at your... Uh, A thing that you just put together and there are no extra pieces, there are no extra parts, it does not wobble, it is not backwards. You look at it and then you sit down and you admire what you just put together. Anybody else done that other than me? And you delight because it is finished, you can rest. And you delight in what has been done. Well, that's what God does here. The Bible says that he rested. God rested. He Shabbated. On the seventh day, God finished. He rested. Now, here's an interesting thing. Shabbat and the word, the number seven is, the word in the Hebrew is Shiva. And it has the same root letters, Shabbat and Shiva. And so here on the Shiva day, God Shabbated. And it's interesting that that number seven is found all throughout the Bible and it's found all particularly in chapter one of the, in the, the beginning of the Bible. And so if you are just kind of a Bible nerd and you want to know this stuff, this will be helpful for you if you're ever on Bible Jeopardy. And so in Genesis 1, 1, the very first sentence of the Bible is seven words in the Hebrew. Barashit, bara Elohim eight hashamin Vahet In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven words. Now, here's an interesting thing: the fourth word of the seven is eight. And that is Aleph Tav. Aleph is the first word in Hebrew. Tav is the last word, uh, letter in Hebrew. Aleph is the first letter. Tav is the the, the last letter. And so it is not translated in that uh, that sentence. But a lot of scholars say it points just to the person of creation. Who is not only the Aleph Tav, but is the Alpha and the Omega. Chapter 2. Uh, verses one through three, we see that there are three lines of seven in the Hebrew. Chapter one, verse two, there are two times seven words. So the next verse is two times seven words, and then it goes into a cacophony of a seven-day literary design of creation that has seven paragraphs. In chapter one, God appears seven times five times, which is 35. The word land and the word sky appear 21 times, which is three times seven. Light and day appear seven times in day one. There are sevens all throughout chapter one. We I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of that And even the Bible itself, there is 735 times in the Bible the number seven is mentioned, which is 105 times seven. Seven is everywhere. What does it mean? Well, seven is a symbol of completion. It's a symbol of wholeness. It's a symbol of shalom, so what you see, scholars will say that days one through six in creation is a journey that God takes that starts with chaos and leads to completion that leads to liberation and rest on day seven. And so a lot of scholars say, and Jewish scholars will say that our lives are like days one through six. They are a linear journey from chaos to liberation, from chaos to completion. Days one through six are the days that we inhale, and day seven is the day that we exhale. And so the Bible is... The book, the story that unpacks how we move from chaos to completion, from death to life. Now, another thing for some of you that are maybe uh, Bible uh, scholars in the room is that day seven is different from the other days, one through six, because in days one through six, there's a pattern that says there was evening and there was morning and then it was the next day. Day seven, there is no mention of an evening, nor is there a mention of the morning. That doesn't mean that time ceased to exist. God just created time, but it meant that God had finished the work of creation and therefore He meant for humanity to rest and reign with Him forever. And so what we see in Genesis chapter one and two is that God worked six days and then he rested one day, building a pattern, building a rhythm within the very fabric of the universe. And so the the one thing that's interesting to note is that the seven day week is unlike every other part of the calendar. It is unique. You know, you have the lunar cycle. You have all these different kinds of cycles. And, and, and yet what you note is that the seven-day week has no basis in nature. We don't have seven-day weeks because of the moon. We don't have seven-day weeks because of the sun or the planets. We only have a seven-day week because of divine revelation. So in history, the ancient Sumerians and the ancient Babylonians, they adapted a seven-day week that they got from the Jews. And, it was not, and it's not really a coincidence that every single society in the world today runs off of a seven-day week. The last time that anyone ever tried to change the seven-day week was actually in 1793 during the French Revolution in which the French revolutionaries, leave it to France, tried to change everything, including changing time, and they created something called the rational calendar. And what they did is they changed it from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. And instead of having four or five weeks in a month, you have only three weeks in a month. And here's something else that was different. You have 10 hours in a day, but yet you have 100 minutes in an hour and 100 seconds in a minute. Sounds like a lot of sense. Makes like a lot of sense, doesn't it? And what they hoped was from this new time, this rational calendar, that it would raise productivity in the country. But yet the result is, is that it led to greater rates of depression, higher rates of suicide, and lower productivity among the working class. And it took 13 years and they completely abolished it and went back to normal time. Now, why is that? Because they were out of rhythm they were out of rhythm of creation. And I'm afraid that in our Western culture, we're out of rhythm as well. We're out of rhythm, not because we changed the calendar, but because we have become a nation of workaholics and we're constantly busy. And we're wanting more. Wayne Mueller in his book on the Sabbath said this. He says, in the relentless busyness of modern life, we have lost the rhythm between work and rest. In our drive for success, we are seduced by the promises of more. More money, more recognition, more satisfaction, more love, more information, more influence, more possessions, and more security. Even when our intentions are noble and our efforts sincere, the corrosive pressure of frantic overactivity can nonetheless cause suffering in ourselves and others. It's true. We are not human doings. We are human beings. And God created the world to have a rhythm of work and rest. You need work. You also need rest. If all you do is rest, then you're not fulfilling what God wants. If all you're doing is work, you're not fulfilling what God wants. Both work and rest are holy. And what God wants is just to have a rhythm of work and also a rhythm of rest and which on that resting day, we breathe into what God wants us to be, not in just what God wants us to do. So the philosopher H.H. Farmer put it best. He says that if you go against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. That is, when you don't take time to rest, when you go outside of the rhythms of what God has designed, then things fall apart. We get burned out, worn out, insomnia, isolation, stress, shallow relationships, heart palpitations, and the high risk of stroke. So God here creates the world in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And then verse number three, it tells us that God blessed the seventh day. He made it to be a day of blessing for God's people. See, here's the interesting thing, that there are three things in the creation narrative that God blesses. First, he blesses the animals. Second, he blesses humanity. And the third is he blesses a day. All three were meant to bring about fruitfulness and fullness. The Sabbath day is that day in which we can be reinvigorated and rejuvenated so that we can have fruitfulness and flourishing. And so God blessed it. And then the Bible says that he made it holy. This is the first time the word holy, which we just sang about, is mentioned in Scripture. Scholars say that there is a a principle of the first here, that the first time something is mentioned, that it gives the definition of, of what that word means. And so the word holy is to be set apart. God says that the day of the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is to be set apart. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heishel said that the first thing that God makes holy is time. And so what we see here in Genesis two verses one through three is that God laid out a vision of a 24 hour period that is to be kept different from the other days of our life and to be remembered as holy. It's a day that is to be blessed. It's a day that is given to the exhausted human race as a gift. And what we're learning from God's word this morning is that life shouldn't be just one day bleeding into the next day. Life shouldn't just be one long march of endless toil. God has given us and all of humanity this gift of the Sabbath. And so he says, use it. Use it. Now, that's what we see here is that the Sabbath is woven into creation, the very fabric of creation. But the second thing I want you to see is that not only is Sabbath a principle that is woven into the very fabric of creation, but secondly, I want you to see that Sabbath is a practice that God commanded for our good. Before we get to Exodus chapter 20, I want to just give you one more cool little geeky thing here that you see in the Bible, and that is in Genesis 1, God speaks in Genesis 1 10 times. In the, creation of narr- in the creation of narrative, the Bible says, and God said, and God said, and God said 10 times. And when God said seven of those 10 times, it was let there be. Let there be, let there be, let there be. Then another time, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply, and then behold, I have given you. So seven out of the 10 times, let there be. But notice this, God has 10 words. In creation, there are 10 words. Now, here's something else. God has another set of 10 words known as the 10 commandments. Literally in the Hebrew, it doesn't call it the 10 commandments, it calls it the 10 words. And so you have in Genesis 1, the 10 words, and then Exodus chapter 20, the 10 words. In Genesis 1, there is creation. In Genesis 20, it seems like there's a new creation, a creation of God's people. Now, notice something else. There's another 10, and that is as, as Israel was leaving the land of promise, before they left the land of promise, God sent 10 plagues. Some would say deconstruction. And each one of those templates just this is for your gee whiz file, really follows the pattern of creation. Just kind of look at that and see. But here you have 10 words. God gives 10 words. And the fourth word of God to his people on Mount Sinai is about the seventh day. And so in Exodus chapter 20, Israel has just spent 440 years in slavery. God has delivered them. He gives them 10 words. Scholars call this the marriage covenant that God gives to his people that he's delivered. The first three words, words are about our relationship with God. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make any image of God, any graven image of God. You should not take the Lord your God's name in vain. And then you have number four, which is the Sabbath. And then you have five through 10, which deals with our relationship with others. And so scholars say that this Sabbath day is the bridge between our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And so verse, verse number eight, Moses through... God, God speaks through Moses and says, remember, remember, remember the Sabbath. Remember it. Now, this, this command is the longest command of the 10. And here's the thing. It's the only spiritual discipline in the 10. So the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt Pray. Or thou shalt read thy Bible, but it does say, "Remember the Sabbath day." It is also the most mentioned command in all the Old Testament. It's going to make it, all the things that I'm saying here are going to set us up for the rest of the sermon series. So I know it may not necessarily be what you are expecting today, but it's going to be very helpful as we think ahead and as you just read your Bible in general. And so the fourth commandment is the most mentioned commandment in all the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it's what's going to get Israel in trouble down the road. And the reason why is because the fourth commandment is the most overlooked command of the 10. Why is that? Because it's easy to forget. That's why he says, remember, see, it's easy for us to get sucked into the speed of life and the pace of our culture uh, that dictates our lives. and, And it causes us to forget our creator and take for granted the gift because we're ungrateful to the giver. And so it's the command here that God gives us to remember. But the other thing is it tells us why we should remember. It's the only commandment of the 10 that tells us the why behind the what and it's rooted in creation. And so in six days God created everything and on the seventh day he rested. And so as we looked at a moment ago, God put this into the very fabric of the cosmos and his people that we as his beloved bearing his image reflect him when we Shabbat like he did. And so God He's not only Israel's deliverer, but God is Israel's creator, and God is our creator and our deliverer, and therefore God created us to work and to rest. And so he says, remember, and then the second part of that is keep it holy. Remember, day seven, he made it holy. God here now commands, keep it holy. I just make, I, I made it holy, you keep it holy. Don't just treat it as a common day. Now, sometimes when we hear the word holy, we think boring. Not boring. The Sabbath day was to be like a holiday, a holy day, like Christmas. Christmas holidays are special days, days that we remember, days that we reserve. Like how many of you have to remind yourself to remember it's Christmas? Like normally for most people, you make Christmas special, and so it's a day that you look forward to. It's a day of tradition, a day of food, a day of family, a day of worship, a day of rest, a day that you watch football, a day that you do this, that, and the other. It's something you anticipate. It's something you're waiting for. Well, that's what he says here. When it comes to this weekly Sabbath, it is something that is unique, something that has traditions, something you anticipate as you go through days one through six. I don't know about you, but it's always good to have something to look forward to, isn't it? I love looking forward to stuff. So isn't it great? You know, there's an old song that says, everybody's working for the weekend. Well, here, Israel was called to work for the Sabbath, to work towards the Sabbath, to look towards the Sabbath. It was to be a weekly Christmas without the stress and the consumerism. And so that's what is commanded here. So we see here that this idea of the Sabbath is a principle woven into the very creation, okay? And so if you don't keep it, it will keep you. Just so that you understand that. We're gonna unpack that more in the next few weeks. But then he says here... That we are to keep it holy, we're to make it separate. But now, the question that probably all of you are asking is that are we supposed to do this? Does does this commandment in the Old Testament require that we, like Israel, give a specific day of of the week in its entirety to be set aside for rest? And if so, what does that look like? And I want you to understand there's a lot of debate. I don't know if you know this, but Christians debate. There's a lot of strong opinion. I don't know if you know that, but there's a lot of people that have a lot of strong opinions, especially on social media. And so some Christians uh, known as strict Sabbatarians, some are even Seventh-day Adventists, uh, believe that little has changed relative to the fourth command and that we are to keep the Sabbath from Friday at 6 p.m. to Saturday at 6 p.m. So some believe that. Others argue that the Christian Sabbath is now Sunday, the Lord's Day. And so uh, because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week and because of the early church and because uh, of all this stuff that now we when we gather on the Lord's Day as a church, that is our Sabbath day. And then others argue that the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ And so just as we don't keep the Old Testament feast, we don't have to keep the Sabbath because now we have complete freedom in our weekly routines. And so what I wanna say is that rather than deciding if the Sabbath is still binding on Christians or not, we can't debate that. We don't have enough time and you all are gonna be way too hungry in the next little bit for me to tell you all this stuff. But here's what we do know. What we do know is that there is wisdom that God has woven into the very fabric of creation. And it's command, it's a practice that God has prescribed to us for our good, and I believe for his glory. And so all the commands of God are gifts from God. They are for our good. And so even this gift of rest and having a regular rhythm of rest is prescribed by God and even was observed by Jesus. And so I want you to leave here, if you leave here with nothing else, is that it is very healthy, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically healthy for you to have one day a week that is separate from the other days of the week. And so the Sabbath principle is not just another rule to keep. It is an opportunity that God is providing for you to enjoy him more. And so what does it look like? How do we do it practically? I'm gonna give you four things and then we're gonna be done. What does Sabbathing thing look like? Number one, resist resist, resist certain activities, cease, stop certain activities that are normal daily work activities. So cease from working. You know, I, the one thing that's interesting, we're gonna talk about this in a couple of weeks is how much we brag about how much we work. Do you know that studies have shown that people that work 80 hours a week are not any more productive than someone who works 40 hours a week? So ceasing is okay. So cease from normal work and also cease from worrying about work. Sometimes when you're not at work, you worry about work, right? And some of you are now worry that I said not to worry about work. Worry, stop worrying about anything. Stop wanting things that you don't need to impress people that you don't like. Resist the insatiable desire to do. Accept the sovereignty of God in your life. And so what this looks like, it puts up boundaries. On this day, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. On this day, I'm going to put my phone on do not disturb. Or I'm going to try an experiment. I'm going to touch the two little buttons on the side, push them in, see this little red thing that pops up, slide it, and the thing just shuts off. It's amazing. It's magical. You should try it. You should try it. We're like addicts to our phone. You shut it off, and it's not on, and you reach for it, and you don't know what to do. Or if your phone's away from you, well, again, we're gonna talk about this later. We're gonna have an old sermon on your phone. And we're gonna really talk about Android users at that sermon as well. <laughs> but resist the tyranny of doing. It's hard, isn't it? It's, we're doers, we wanna do stuff. We're Americans, we do stuff. But we have to resist the urge of that. You know, God, uh, in Exodus chapter 16, uh, God uh, told the people of Israel, I'm gonna provide food for you. And on six days, I'm gonna provide every morning, you're gonna have this, this stuff out there called manna. It's wonder bread, heavenly bread. And you gather it. You, you gather it, you gather just what your family needs. Don't gather, Don't gather more than what your family needs. Don't hoard it, because anything you gather beyond what you need is gonna rot. It's going to get gross. It's going to stink. And so every day they were supposed to do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And what he says though, is on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much. So they were to gather enough food for the next day. And so that's the only time they would do that. So they were Monday, Tuesday, all those day one, two, three, four, five, six. Sixth day, they gather twice as much because on the seventh day, there is no bread. The grocery store is closed. And so they were to trust God every day for their daily bread. But you know that there were some OCD types out there on day seven, looking around and the store was closed and they went hungry because they didn't trust God's word because God says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what the Sabbath taught them to do is that they were to trust God to provide, even if they took a day off. And some of you believe in your heart that if you took a day off, if you took time off, the world would fall apart but God wants you to understand that you're not God. Marva Dawn, uh, who writes about the Sabbath, she says that on the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and instead have put our lives back into his control. Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to his sovereign hands all the things that are beyond our control and terrifying us. Often those things are safely there, uh, pardon me, once those things are safely there, and as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, amen, our emotions can Find truly comforting and healing rest. Trust God. It's okay. Like we're about to enter into a Shabbat month, the month of July as a church in which we only have worship on Sunday mornings together as a family. And then we have different things that happen during the week, but it's not our normal routine. And some people are like, Pastor, what are we gonna do? We're gonna shut down things during the month of July and people are gonna stop coming here and people are gonna get mad and they're gonna go to other churches and we're gonna fall apart. And here's what I wanna tell them is No! No, it's okay to take a break, right? It's okay to rest. We have so many volunteers that serve so tirelessly throughout the year that it's okay to give them a break. Amen, amen. Resist the urge to do. Secondly, restore. To Sabbath means to restore, to restore mentally, physically, and spiritually. Exodus chapter 31, verse seven, God speaking to Israel says of the Sabbath that it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That word refreshed means to exhale, to catch one's breath. God created the Sabbath to be a weekly place where we can restore, where we can catch our breath. Now I want you to understand that relaxation is not the same thing as restoration. Many of us are good at re- relaxing. Relaxing. We can eat fast food. We can binge watch Netflix. We can sit mindlessly on our phones. Those things may relax us, but they do not restore us. How many of you, after spending four hours on your phone, get up from that and say, oh, I feel so restored. No. The Sabbath is also not just taking a day off to do daily chores. It's not just, this is, you know, I've been wanting to, clean my garage out and fix it up. And so I'm gonna Sabbath and clean my garage up and fix it up. Now that may be restorative to you, but it is very draining to me. And those of you who find fixing a garage and putting it together restorative, I'll give you my address. You can come by anytime you want. Okay, you want things that restore. John Tyson in his book, called Resistance, says that the movement from exhaustion to rest is a movement from fear to trust, a movement from anxiety to peace, a movement from control to surrender. But rest requires intentionality. It really does. To do what I'm saying requires intentionality. We need to learn the skill of resting. We need spiritual rest, to stop our need to be on mission for God and doing things for his kingdom and to just enjoy the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Let me just stop there for a time out. I'm not saying that we should just be lazy and do nothing for Jesus. But sometimes as a Christian, we feel like that the world is on our shoulders and that we have to always constantly be on mission for God and never rest. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a sense of urgency, but what I am saying is, is that God does want us to just rejoice in what he has done for us, and it's okay to rest in that. We need emotional rest, he says, to lower our guard, Uh, pardon me, we need physical rest to sleep deeply delight our senses, release stress, step back and recover from the pace of modern life. We need emotional rest to lower our guard and be ourselves before God, to lay down the concerns and conflicts of the week and be known and loved by him. We need intellectual rest to stop having to deconstruct the lies and stories around us and instead feast on truth. In other words, he said, we need to stop watching Fox News. We need to stop watching CNN and MSNBC and get off Twitter. Amen. Amen. We need a break. We need a break from that junk. We really do. We need a social rest to take a break from having to constantly be on and give out to those around us and to enjoy acceptance and love from our heavenly father and our friends. We need rest and it takes intentionality. And so we have to resist. We have to say no to the incessant desire to do, and we have to restore ourselves. We have to do things that are restorative, not just things that are relaxing, but things that really bring us rest. And then the third thing is delight, delight. We are not machines. You're not a machine. We're humans. We're meant to enjoy the things of God. Piper said it best that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God has created this creation for us to enjoy him and the things that God has given us. And so Sabbathing or taking a break is not being bored to death. It's meant to have a whole day that you enjoy God and the gifts that God gives. So it's a day that you should read a book. Or take a hike, or make pancakes with your kids, or play a board game, or work in the garden, and go to church, and hang out with your friends, and eat a lot of great food. Amen. Get some pancakes at first watch and pour two things of syrup on it. (laughs) Laugh a lot. Enjoy your day. Delight. I'm not sitting there. Don't get the idea that Sabbathing means that you and your family sit on the couch and stare at each other (laughs) as you read scripture to one another. Not that that's wrong, but I I want you to think that God wants you to enjoy what he's given us. And and, and it's not just getting caught up in the ordinary demands of life, but it's also celebrating who you are in Christ. A.J. Sabata writes writes, uh, on the, he calls it the subversive Sabbath. He says that Sabbath is a scheduled reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we can get a breath and rest. That is slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. Resist, restore, delight, worship. The work of the Sabbath is to worship God. The work of the Sabbath is to reorient your life around God. Most of us, we reorient our lives around our kids or around our grandkids, around our husband, around our wife, or around ourselves. This is the day that we reorient our life around God. Peter, uh, Peter Scazio, who writes a book called Emotionally Healthy Disciples, writes this. He says that the Sabbath refers to a unit of time around which we are to orient our entire lives as holy, meaning separate from the other six days. Sabbath provides for us now an additional rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God. A day that's all about God and his glory and his goodness. So on your Sabbath, when you Sabbath, you need to evaluate everything you do through the lens of this. Is it restful and is it worshipful? Is what I'm doing causing me to rest and to worship? And if, if it's not, then it needs to be done another day. The Sabbath day, as one pastor said, should be the best day of your week. It should be something you look forward to. It should be a day that sets you up to live from a spirit of restfulness throughout the week. When one pastor said, he said, weariness rarely leads to godliness. You know what weariness often leads to? Sin. Sin. For many in the church, your Sabbath day, your day of rest is often Sunday, the Lord's day. Al Mohler writes, he says that the early Christians yearned to arrive at the Lord's day, knowing that if they could survive the week, literally, they would once again hear the preaching of the word of God and the fellowship with the, in fellowship with the saints of God. I don't know about you, but my, my favorite day of the week is Sunday because I'm in the house of God with the people of God, singing the songs of God for the praises of God to the glory of God. And it's amazing. I love being in God's house on, on the Lord's day. See, this is a commandment for our good. It's a commandment for our good. So let me give you something really practical, then we're gonna end, okay? So you can put your seatbelt on, tray table up, upright, lock position, okay? Could get bumpy at the end. I wanna give you something very practical. I want you this week, you, if you're single, that's fine. If you're married, that's fine. I want you to write down what a, an ideal 24-hour day would look like that would be restful and worshipful. Write it down. And so if you're married, you, husband write it down, wife write it down, and then you all sometime this week at dinner, or go on a date, or whatever, and I want you to sit down and just map out, write down, this is what an ideal 24 hours would look like in the rhythm of our life, in the rhythm of our family. If you're single, and you're like, I don't necessarily wanna do this alone, then you can get some other friends that are single, and you guys can talk about this is what an ideal day would be, and you could either do it together or you could do it by yourself, or if you're just single and you don't like people, then you just plan it out, and you can just do it, you know, And, and maybe your whole thing is, I'm around nobody for 24 hours, okay? That may not be a bad thing, okay? But write it and then do it. And I want to really encourage you over the next two or three weeks, I want you to do it. Take 24 hours and do it. You say, I can't do that. Try 12 hours. Shoot for 24. You say, what if it's really bad to begin with? Well, that's okay. I mean, sometimes Christmas isn't always great. It doesn't mean you stop doing it. But pick a day. Will you do that? Try it. And then once you do that day, one week, do it again the next week. Do it again. Do it again. See what God does with that. See, God's gift of the Sabbath was not meant to punish God's people. It wasn't meant to drive us to boredom. It wasn't just a day of inactivity for one day every seven. It was meant to be a blessing and a gift. It was meant to remind us that the best is yet to come. It was a picture of a greater rest that our soul is longing for. It was meant to remind us not only of the God who is our creator, but it remind us of the God who is our savior. It points back to creation, but it points forward to new creation, all made possible by Jesus. You know, the older you get, the more you appreciate a good nap. I mean, the older you get, the more you appreciate a good night's sleep. And I don't know about you, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I need all the beauty sleep I can get. You know, as a kid, though, you fought the bed, right? You fought going to bed. You hated going to bed. You cried. You whined. You would incessantly, it seemed like as a kid, you get thirsty when someone says, it's time to go to bed. But as an adult, you long for the bed. You hope for the bed. You pray that it gets dark so you can go to bed. And you really are excited when your kids go to bed. Amen? Right, man? We go, somebody go get the spirit in a minute. Why is that? Why is it when you're a kid, you didn't, want to go to, you didn't want to go to bed, but now as an adult, you can't wait to go to bed? It's all about perspective, isn't it? The other day, the boys and I were riding back with a friend, a good friend, uh, back home, and we were from, going from Miami back here to Naples. We had just went to the arena and watched game five, the Heat versus the Celtic. A very kind, generous person gave us tickets so that we can go. It was a very late game, and it was very late at night. It was a horrible game, stinky game. <laughs> bad. And the day was a very long, stinky day. And so we're driving. I'm not driving. This other person was driving a good friend and we were driving along this magnificent stretch of highway called Alligator Alley. So beautiful, especially in the middle of the night. And I was so tired, so exhausted, and I was so longing just to go home and just to go to bed. Like I had already planned in my mind that as soon as I get home, I'm, the kids get in, lock the door, get into bed. I'm not even going to brush my teeth. Straight to bed. Don't pass go. Don't collect your Straight to bed. So as we're going along this alley, my friend is a very cautious driver. And so he was driving 72 in a 70 in the middle of the night where there are no cops. (laughs) And I was praying, oh, Lord, will you put a little tingle in his leg (laughs) to push a little harder (laughs) because I'm ready to go home, ready to go to bed. I'm tired. And so as I watched every mile marker, go by. I mean, it was so slow I could take a picture in front of the mile marker as a selfie (laughs) and you could perfectly read the numbers. As I went each mile marker on that alley was one more mile closer to home. Every day that we live is one day closer to going home. And every day that we set aside to rest and to worship is a reminder that our rest is not found in what we do, but our rest is found in what he did for us. And every day, we're just another day closer to going home. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of getting on, watching the news and seeing another shooting. I'm tired of gas prices right now. And I'm out of gas. I'm tired. And one day is just another day closer to home. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you'll never know rest. But if you know Jesus, you'll know rest here And you'll look forward to that day where you can rest up there. Take a break. It's okay. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of our heart has pleased you today. And God, help us to practically take what you have woven into the very fabric of creation and have commanded for our good. Would we practice it this week or in the weeks to come? this rhythm of rest, and that we would point our hearts every day to the rest we find in Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.